0: Hi listeners, and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr George Talaphoris, and on today's episode, we're talking about how to implement your NDIS plan with the help of what the NDIS called Support Coordination. Join us today is Sam Hale from the Support Coordination Service, The Growing Space. Hi, Sam, and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, George. Great to be here. Now, can you start
0: by telling us all about your service and tell us, how did it it get started?
1: Yeah, uh, The Growing Space started probably in conception many years ago. I started with a group of uh, other parents of children with disability at the time. Uh, many of them are adults now Uh, and we started going to schools and talking to families about supports and services in general Um, because we found it was a really big gap that we ourselves would find out five years later about supports that we'd never heard about. So in some ways it was a bit like support coordination but it was very peer-led back then. Um, And when the NDIS came along we found there was such a huge gap, there was just no one actually talking to parents or to people with disability um and really giving them the the ground view of what was going on. So from there the growing space kind of evolved uh and from there we found that the support coordination was the niche that the agency set up uh as as a you know a billable line uh and uh we've actually become you know a somewhat viable business.
0: That's fantastic. And I understand that you've got some personal interest in said as a parent, so that would have helped, I'm sure.
1: Yep, it does. I have two lads who are both on the NDIS, one of whom's been on for about three or four years now, uh, and everybody that works with us at the growing space is either a person with disability or, a, or um, has a loved one with disability.
0: Fantastic. Now, this term, support coordination, what on earth does it mean for people who might have no idea what we're talking about?
1: Yeah, look, some people might think of it as case management, but it's really not case management. Um, it's quite different from case management because it's more about, uh, well, it's all about capacity building. So rather than um, us coming in and managing and doing everything for someone, our role is actually to make ourselves redundant. So our, our job is actually to do ourselves out of a job. So the best support coordinators will uh, not have to continue doing support coordination, which is great. Um. So we help families uh, and people with disabilities set up their NDIS once they get their plans, implement their plan, find their providers, supports, and services. Um. We do run case conferences and get groups of people together to help. Uh, talk about situations and get everyone on the same page. Uh, we definitely help people through crises, where they may not be able, where they may not know who to access or how to get the support that they need. Um. I think that's pretty much the crux of what a support coordinator does. We also well, at the Growing Space we take great pride and work very hard to help people look at the big picture and to think about least dangerous assumption, which is, you know, always always thinking bigger than we've ever thought before and widening the world.
0: You said the 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 least dangerous assumption, what do you mean by that?
1: Uh so for People with intellectual disability, uh, they've probably grown up nearly all of their lives with people making very dangerous assumptions. So if I were to use my son, for example, and I assumed that he was not able to catch a bus into his Saturday morning job in the city, I probably have just guaranteed that he would not catch a bus into the city. But by making a less dangerous assumption and assuming that he can and giving it a go... I'm going to be broadening his world. And if he wasn't able to do it, which he wasn't a couple of years ago, uh, it just means that we try again. And I make the least dangerous assumption again a couple of years later, and he now can successfully catch the bus in and out of town on his own.
0: Oh, that's great. Now tell me about um, who should receive funding for support coordination. I mean, uh, from my own experience, um, I I, uh, did not ask for support coordination mainly because I didn't want to have another professional in my life. I wanted to be able to just go go ahead and do it. But not everyone's like me. Um, who 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 should receive funding for support coordination in their in their NDIS plan?
1: Is your question who should or who does?
0: Who should and who does. <laughs>
1: okay. All right, so who I'll start with who does. So who does get support coordination are um, people in areas where there are no local area coordinators. Um, So they will often get support coordination for a first plan to help them understand their plan and know how to use it and that sort of stuff. Um, it's uh, It's quite variant depending on the circumstances of the actual individual. So if you're in a bit of a crisis point, if there's a whole lot going on for you, quite, uh, you know, because of the disability probably, but in general there's lots of different system interfaces. So you might be involved with the justice system, there might be a whole lot of interfaces with a health system and you're not particularly good at managing that or just don't know how to get the help that you need. Um, could also be if you're at a big life stage change. So if you're moving out of home or if you're leaving school, there are changes in life, there are big changes in your life that might require some more support around those. Uh, if you live in a group home or supported accommodation and you've got no family, um, often you'll get support. Most, most people living in group home would get support, would get some support coordination. Um, I think basically where there's a lot of complexities going on or extra vulnerabilities, you might, have, uh, you might not have English as a first language uh, and need support from that direction as well.
0: Okay, that's really interesting. Now, I, I understand that there are different types or levels, of support mm-hmm. coordination, just to make things even more complicated, um, what, what are the different types of, of support coordination that you can receive in the yep. in your plan?
1: There are three different funding levels for support coordination and then there's different levels of money or packages within those three levels. So the first or the lowest level would be support connection. That's funded at about $57 per hour. And that's really essentially for people in areas that don't have a local area coordinator. So you'll find that if you're in an area with local area coordination, um, you're not likely to get support connection at all because your local area coordinator should be doing that job. That's falling over a little bit in this stage of the scheme because the local area coordinators are overrun with doing plans and not, not prioritising plan implementation and helping people. So that's a bit of a problem. Um, but that's generally how it should work and will work as the scheme rolls out better. So the next level is support coordination. That's the standard level and that's what most people that get support coordination will get. So that's funded at about, I think it's $94 an hour Uh, and that's where someone, you know, you you might only be funded for an hour a month or two hours a month of support coordination and they can help you on an ongoing basis. They'll also probably help you with getting ready for your plan review at the end of your year. So ready for your annual review, helping get the reports together and evidence and and talking about your new goals and those sorts of things. And then the third level, the highest level is specialist support coordination. And that's funded at the therapeutic rate. So you really need to be either a psychologist or a developmental educator, an OT, somebody like that. Um, And they're funded at that quite high level of $179 an hour. And that's really for people in a full-on crisis, uh, homeless, um, lots of stuff happening in your life. Maybe you've just come out of jail, those sorts of things. There are times when you're more likely to get specialist support coordination.
0: Okay, so we've people looking at what, what kind of uh, situation they're in and what would be the most appropriate level of coordination to ask for. Okay. Yeah.
1: Now now no, I should just uh, yeah. I can can I interrupt for one second there. There yeah. um you whether you ask for coordination or not is probably not all that relevant. The planner <laughs> will actually make a decision um whether you want it or not. So I'm gonna actually hypothesise, George, that you probably should have accepted support coordination so it was there if you wanted it, which meant you don't have to use it. You don't have to engage a support coordinator, but the money is there if you need it.
0: Okay, well, that's a very handy tip. And hey, even I'm still, still learning about this as we all are.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> all right. So, um, what, what, what do you think makes a good support coordinator? What, what, what are some of the skills and knowledge and characteristics of a good support coordinator?
1: It's a really good question and I think in some ways it's an evolving question and I find it when I'm doing hiring as well to try and figure out, well, what qualities am I looking for? What do I really want in a support coordinator? But um, I have come up with a few key things and a few things that are variant according to um, the individual that you want to be serving as well. So I guess generally speaking, I think a lived experience is really valuable. So having a person with disability doing your support coordination is... You know, exceptional. If you can, if you can find that, if you can train someone to be a support coordinator, that is, you, know, you. That's the gold standard in my book. Um, then someone that's a carer, so someone that has that lived experience of actually growing up and being with someone with disability, whether they're a spouse or a sibling or a parent, um, that's pretty valuable too. I think anyone who does support coordination needs a really strong understanding and grounding in human rights and a knowledge of the convention uh, of the rights of people with disability. I think that's an absolutely essential piece for anyone doing this work. Um, from a practical sort of nuts and bolts perspective, you've really got to have a deep understanding of the NDIS processes, how they're working. Um, you've also got to have a whole lot of flexibility. so. Uh, when I train support coordinators, the first thing I do at the beginning of the session is I give them a slinky and I say, you have to be this flexible if you are going to work in this space because the policies are changing on a day-to-day basis and the needs of the people you serve will change on a day-to-day basis. So that's really, really important. Um, going back to that human rights thing, George, I think um, a deep belief in the value of all people and that everyone has something to offer is utterly essential because if you don't value the people you're serving, uh, you should absolutely not be in this game.
0: Absolutely. And I think I, I, I would also add to that that you need to really understand what's possible for people because absolutely. often often people will look at an NDIS plan and just think of you know, the traditional day services or the traditional... Um, you know, support services that a good support coordinator should be able to look at the person and think, What well, is it about that person that the community or the world out there, um, can bring to them and vice versa. Um, so that we start moving out of the the disability silos that we live in and Yeah, dead and, right. Yeah, start living in the world. Yeah.
1: Dead, dead, right, George, and in fact, that's one of the things I've got written on my list here too. Um, what you said first, though, goes back to that least dangerous assumption mm. again. But um, also to really, to really have a deep belief in inclusion and being part of the world and the community, and not segregation, not not instantly thinking that day options program and disability employers you know that the that, that these are the first line and yes. um, for me for me they should be so far down the rung it's unbelievable they, they really you really don't even want them on your radar if you know if at all possible to avoid them Absolutely. um yeah I think um a strong willingness to be redundant <laughs> a strong willingness to do yourself out of a job and that's hard for some people I think um it, you know it's it's easy to become quite codependent on the people you serve you know we we work with people you get to know them quite intimately you yeah you, you know, i guess at some level you end up with a love you know a mutual you know a mutual joy in each other and it's hard to sort of let that go so um you've got to be careful not to be a codependent support coordinator
0: <laughs> and i guess um, that is being able to uh build up the skills and talents of the person that you're working for so you're not just doing everything for them but you're Mm. building up their own capacity to do things for themselves. I think that's critical.
1: 100% right and part of that also is teaching people self-advocacy. So teaching them how to not just to do do the work but how to actually speak up for themselves when things aren't going right. You no, know, there are so many people, particularly people with intellectual disability, but I think probably across the board who don't want to ever make a complaint about their service providers. And we need to support and encourage people to be able to do that.
0: Okay, so what if you're not happy with your support coordinator? What do you do then?
1: Well, I'm gonna go back a step from that, George, because if um uh, if you're unhappy with your support coordinator, you should be able to make a complaint to that support coordinator. Sorry, going going back from that, the first thing is to make sure that when you choose a support coordinator that they are not from the same company that provides any of your other supports and services because that's what we call a conflict of interest. So if you have your support coordinator who also is from the same company that provides all your support workers, it becomes a little bit more difficult to complain about your support workers to your support coordinator.
0: Yes, that's a very good idea. And and it's also, it was never intended in the NDAS that you would have your provider, your personal supports, to be the same as your support coordinator. Um, somehow, exactly right. in the rush to get the NDAS up, I think that um, a lot of providers of supports also got away with providing support coordination, which is, very far right. from ideal, so I agree with
1: Yeah, there just weren't enough providers. There just weren't enough people doing the work. I think that's what happened. But I guess the first step is to try and sort it out with support coordinator. Make sure they know if they're not doing a good job. You know, don't suffer in silence. Send an email and say, hey, you haven't called me for six weeks. I need some help. Get your act together. Um, if that doesn't work, then you want to go and find a new support coordinator. And you can switch support coordinators. There is, there is nothing stopping you. There may be a two-week gap in between service while a service booking is cancelled and the new one is created. Um, but generally speaking, uh, read your service agreement with your support coordinator. Read that before they become your support coordinator. Um, and if they've done something really heinous, like if they've done something fraudulent or harmful or, or they really are genuinely incompetent. Uh, then you want to make sure there's some complaint, official complaints made. So those complaints should be made uh, certainly in the coming months to the Quality and Safeguards Commission, the new Quality and Safeguards Commission through the NDIS, and then, of course, just even through your local uh, Consumer Business Bureau.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just, you, need, you need to um, yeah, get the word out there if someone's um, yeah, not doing what they should be doing.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. I'm I'm interested in
0: um, any myths or misconceptions that you think um, exist about support coordination. I mean, we've we've talked about already the fact that the the role of a support coordinator is to develop a person's individual capacity to um, effectively make the job of the coordinator redundant and i think that, that that's really important that people remember but what are some other sort of misunderstandings or useful yeah. bits of information that, that you yeah, might sure. want to tell people
1: yeah um and as much as i going back to that redundancy thing look there are going to be people who will always need extra support they will always need support coordination but most most people won't and certainly most people it can be reduced at some level. But about the misconceptions, um, I think the first one is uh, some people think the support coordinators do everything for you. We're we're not allowed to do rostering. We're not allowed to manage those sorts of things. Um, We're also actually not allowed to do advocacy, which is quite fascinating to me because I think I see a big part of my role as being an advocate and to teach or support other people to be self-advocates. So if that means that I draft an email for them that they then tweak and send to the agency, then I guess you could call that advocacy. Um, But technically, we're not supposed to do that. We're actually not allowed to judge the quality of a plan either. So if someone brings me an NDIS plan and says, what do you think? Is this a good plan or not? The NDIS have requested that we do not make a judgment on that. Now, I'll be pretty frank. Uh, When somebody asks me that, I just I make a little gesture as if I'm taking off a hat And I say, you're not paying me right now. I am no longer your support coordinator. Uh, Your plan is great, shit, rubbish, awesome, whatever it happens to be. And then I put my hat back on and they're paying me again. And I think you'll find most support coordinators will do that too, because we do see some pretty wide discrepancies in the plans that come out. Um, Some people think that we work for the NDIS. We do not. We do not work for them. Uh, We need to report to them. But we do not work for them. We work for you, the person with disability, uh, and our own employers, our bosses. Um, we don't pay bills. We don't. Uh, we don't run your rosters. Um, uh, I think they're the key things that we don't do that people seem to think that we do.
0: Okay, so effectively, um, in terms of the the coordination role, my understanding from what you're saying is it's not about advocacy or or a rostering, um, but it's about bringing together the different parts of the plan that will effectively allow the person to um, fully implement their plan to a point where they achieve the goals of the plan. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. We are all about the outcomes. So we really want people to think big and really think outside the box. And, you know, a lot of people have never heard of a micro-enterprise or of a circle of support. There's a whole lot of things out there that can really help people live bigger, fuller, you know, awesomer lives. Um, And I think our role is to open those doors. It's not to, it's not even necessarily to walk through those doors for everyone, but at least to open that door. Sometimes we walk through those doors with people, but we really need to know how to open them.
0: That's a very, very um, important thing that people remember that, that support coordination is there to help you get to your destination or your your, your desired goal, you know. And and um, if that's not happening, you might want to look at you know having a, a a serious talk with your support coordinator or, or looking elsewhere. And that's what I think is very empowering. That the NHS we're no longer trapped to one provider. We can. We can shop around. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. absolutely right. okay. Um. Are there any um final thoughts or or um I guess advice that you'd like to impart to our listeners about um support coordination if they if they're, they 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 may have just received that plan and that plan says you know, this much funding for support coordination and they're like okay great but what do I do now? What, what any, any pointers or ideas for that?
1: I think um, when, you're, when you're looking for a support coordinator I think you want to ask them have they read the NDIS Act because I don't believe you should be a support coordinator without an understanding of the legislation because that underpins everything. Mm-mm. So I think that's a really good question to ask people. Um, and and set some expectations early. Find out from your coordinator. Look, how often are you going to contact me? What is the best way to contact me? How 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 do we how do we work together? Read that um read that service agreement really thoroughly. Really understand what you're getting in for.
0: And how can people find a support coordinator in their area? How do they do that?
1: Yeah, uh, you need to go onto the NDIS website and look at the provider. Uh, the provider listings. You can e- The most up-to-date is actually on the page that has a whole lot of um, PDF or doc files for each state. And if you go on there for provider listings, that'll give you the most up-to-date listing. And I think it's under lifelong learning. can't remember the actual category. Um, it's pretty messy. There, of course, the traditional and probably the best way is really just to Google your area, be it, you know, Geelong or uh, or Catherine or wherever it is that you live, and support coordination and NDIS and up-will-come up providers in your area. Of course, the very best way to find a support coordinator is to speak to other people with disability and find out who they're using and who they're happy with.
0: That's fantastic advice. Well, thank you, Sam, for uh, joining us today. And I'm thrilled to say that you'll be joining us then on next week's episode to talk about self-management. But for now... Uh, thanks for your time.
1: You're welcome, George. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Brutal and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Building Better Lives, for all previous podcasts and transcripts. We also have love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time,
1: stay well and reasonable.